Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 119 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Libraries podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I'm your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Maracle. We're here another day, another day that we've survived 2020. Yeah. I'm proud of us. I'm proud of all of you listeners. There's 119 times we'd successfully come into this room and not not been defeated. I'm, I'm happy we can get 119 more. You Well, you jinxed it because the episode's not recorded. Way oh, to go. Dang it. Well, that's, um, that's happened before. So, talk about, we're going to get right into a movie rewatch we did last night. We're going to be talking about IMDb's. They have a 25 top rated movies list. Oh, yeah, I, I figured that they would. And this is number 13. <laughs> is it really? 250. Yeah, pretty oh, good. Oh, wow. And we're talking about Inception. Um, which turns 10 this year. Which made me feel a little bit old when I found out that information. Oh, that was that was trippy. No doubt that was trippy. But yeah, so this is Christopher Nolan's dreamy thriller. Um, a film that will say succeeds viscerally as well as intellectually. That's it, for sure. I mean, as big of an event as they are now, I feel like this was the first Christopher Nolan big summer movie event that came out. Like, he did the Batman movies, but those were, you know, they're Batman movies. They're always going to be well-hyped. But I feel like Inception was the first movie that was kind of sold just on his name. Yeah, totally. the mystery behind it kind of got people into the theater. Yeah, this really, I think this crystallized him as like a writer-director with like, who's like a brainy showman. Oh, yeah. And plus, just like an event movie, like Christopher Nolan movies coming out. Everybody, yeah. look at Tenet this year, whenever that eventually <laughs> Which is released. crazy, too, because they're like, we have this twisty, mature thriller with a vast backdrop and a radical plot structure. Should be great. Yeah. Should be great. Sounds like a good popcorn. Should be flip. great summer movies. So let's go back in time. We're gonna go to 2010. Ah, this so nice. This was a terrible summer for big movies, though. Really bad. Really? Yeah. So it was the year of the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, that's my boy Nick Cage. Uh, the A Team. The worst Sex in the City movie. Like, there's a worst one. They're yes, there's terrible. a worst one. The worst Iron Man movie. Oh, that's got to be two. Um, audiences were not into Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz doing that night and day. Night and day. Wow, there's a movie you never think about. Um, Robin Hood reunited Russell Crowe with Ridley Scott. Oh, man. Yeah, that was some dreadfully diminishing returns there. Uh, Last Airbender and Prince of Persia. Oh, man. I mean, that was supposed to launch new franchises, but mostly it just set like a really weird trend for blockbuster whitewashing that we were like, why do you keep doing this? It's funny. It took us another 10 years to realize, hey, maybe we might not want to do this and it's not cool to be miscasting. They're still doing it. There's still actors turning down roles. Isn't it funny that like (sighs) the animated characters, people that do voice acting are no longer going to allow themselves to be in that position. And yeah, yeah, it's like real actors are like, "Eh, we can (laughs) still, you know, we'll figure it out. So this is a decade after just the most rewatchable film, Memento, which you have to to fully get the picture. And then this was two years after um, the phenomenon of The Dark Knight. Uh, we had an original concept with a giant budget and a shiny cast of big stars and up-and-comers. I feel like that doesn't happen these days because so many movies just come from like the recycling bin where they're like, here's sequels, here's remakes, here's franchises. But Inception does like a totally 
different and difficult thing because it's a wholly original film cut from a new cloth. Yeah, there's literally was nothing like this movie. Like he's like Christopher Nolan gave some of inspiration of some of the thrillers that were coming out in the late nineties, like mm-hmm. your, the Matrix, the Thirteenth Floor, uh, things like that that were just kind of out there. Yeah, in um, my movies, but. This one was kind of a wholly original concept. Even from the trailers, you knew it had something to do with like the mind. But, but you're you like, I have no idea what it's about. I would just like to say to my friend Jen, who listens sometimes, she just hates this movie so much. <laughs> it comes up all the time. Um, I'll get into her more, but this is this is not her thing. And she, I think she texted me. She's like, I just saw the trailer for Tenant, and like, why? Just why? Does I'm she? Not, uh, like it. We'll probably speak a little bit about Tenant later. But does she know that? Tenet is like a pseudo sequel to Inception. I'm sure she doesn't, and I'm sure that makes her hate her more. Happy for you. You're going to have an whole <laughs> yeah. other Inception movie to check out. So this, the story of Inception, I think it can be told in a few sentences or just not told at all. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean it's immune to spoilers in a way because you can talk about it, and if you haven't seen it, you're still going to be like, what? But I will just put that warning out there. There are going to be be spoilers we're going to go through the whole film and also some of this will be our interpretation because not all of this movie is exactly straightforward especially the ending so you know (laughs) well yeah and even though if you know how it ends when we talk about it that doesn't really tell you anything unless you know how it got there right and so even rewatching it like uh last night there i was watching it and i didn't remember some of the stuff and i remember the movie out of order because there was stuff happening before yeah I thought, even that opening scene i like was like oh man wait a minute this sort of i definitely want to talk about how i felt the, the 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 second time around um i would say less um pure bafflement which it was definitely which makes was nice. more sense it makes so much more sense on a rewatching because i knew what i was looking for this time and this this is a movie it's all about process it's all about fighting our way through enveloping sheets of reality and dream and reality within within dreams dreams without reality so if that sounds like your cup of tea and you've never seen inception you know sit down you're in for a ride yeah um so a recap of the film we have dom cobb who's played by leonardo dicaprio which i always say that leo is hottest in departed but i don't know he might be hottest in this. Well, he's wearing a lot of suits. He's got his, his hair, hair gel going. Oh, he looks so good. But he's he got is, that Leonardo DiCaprio facia, facial hair going. It's like, so perfect. Right he's such a beautiful man. But he is a thief with the rare ability to enter people's dreams and steal their secrets from their subconscious. So you're dreaming. They hop in. You think it's still a dream, but they're actually getting information from you. So he, he and his team construct like a reality resembling dreamscapes for its targets so that while you're sleeping you're like this hey, makes this sense is- in my dream world yeah. and then you engage um in those vivid constructs with the goal being to get out with your information before the dream collapses um, his skill has made him a hot commodity in the world of corporate espionage but has also cost him everything that he loves okay and it's real sad all our all our listeners take a deep breath because that's only the very beginning of the synopsis of this <laughs> yeah one. i mean but it is mostly like that is what they're doing there might just be different layers within that um but it's mostly Cobb is he has a chance at redemption um which he's offered with this seemingly impossible task which is so they you know they go into people's dreams they steal your info while you sleep in but right. what they want now is to plant an idea 
in someone's mind while they're dreaming. And if he succeeds, it's a perfect crime. But um, there is there, there's issues. Like yeah, there's some anticipation um, of what's going to happen here. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is also looking in uh, top form in mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, is Leo's partner in this, and he's basically telling uh, Ken Watanabe, who's the one who hires them for this job, that Inception is not really something that works. He's a, you can try to introduce ideas into people's heads, but they're always going to have the idea that it's not their it thought. It rings false if someone plants a thought in your head. Right, and then DiCaprio, be probably blinded a little bit by the fact that he wants to get back to his kids, it's kind of like, well, it can be done. You just have to go deep enough into somebody's mind and kind of trick them into at a deeper level that they came up with the idea originally, mm-hmm. which is why he's okay with it. So, yeah, it's to call it high concept is a... Uh, so to go into a dream is one thing, but then they're like, it's not working. So the person in the dream, we're going to make them dream of a dream... And then we're going to make that dream a dream a dream. And that is when my friend Jen turned to her friend in the theaters. I think they were like three dream levels deep, maybe hopping <laughs> into four. And she was just like, I'm checked out. Like that's too many <laughs> like levels. That's, that's too much. She's I don't like, know I got two on. dream levels. Anything more than that, I'm out. So on rewatch, which we highly recommend that everyone does for the, for the 10th anniversary, the wow factor of coming to it entirely brand new is still really high it's still beautiful oh it's still especially now with like hd i watched hd 4k and it was just incredible oh i imagine the paris street when it's like exploding and they're shooting the the stuff out of the cafe oh it's just incredible to watch like when the um cities start folding on top of each other like the effects look still awesome you can't you're seamless still to this day 100 it did not sour at all um and I'd say by the time that the credits rolled, I was just, again, in love with this whole imaginative world. Where I was like, this would be really cool to do. Also, as someone like me and Andrew were talking about it because he doesn't remember his dreams. And I am an extremely vivid dreamer. So I feel like I really related to it where I was like, oh, yeah, I could see all of these things happening. Like, I remember my dreams and they're really, really involved. And this film just worked its magic in ways that made me appreciate it on a whole new level. Yeah, I kind of have the same thing. I can occasionally remember them. I don't remember them all the time. But when I do, they're usually extremely vivid ones. And I Yeah, do like that. they're wild, right? Yeah, and I still have that problem where you don't know when you're dreaming. Like, you're in the dream, you're just doing your thing, and you're like, something seems off. And then as soon as you realize, hey, I might be dreaming, that's when everything starts going and crazy. And I think a lot of people don't have that ability. Like I was telling Andrew, I'm like, well, if I'm in a dream and you know, maybe stuff's wild. There might be some monster. Like stuff is just, it's too crazy. In the dream, Michelle pauses and I'll be like, this is really crazy. Oh, I bet I'm dreaming. And then I'll be like, wake up. And then I'll wake up. Right. And he's like, huh? I can't do that. I never recognize when I'm in a dream, but I'm like, oh, sometimes I will. Or if the dream is just like, it's so stressful for me, I'll be like, I don't want this. Is this a dream? Because if it is, like, get out of it. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's thank you. It's yeah. that old Freddy Krueger defense. <laughs> Your mind just knows to wake up at certain points. So Yeah. And it's very interesting the way they get into that idea of, like, you can change anything, but... Like you're always trying to like have your brain cells or like antibodies trying to get all these foreign invaders once they get trapped in your brain. It's hard to articulate exactly without like watching the movie and having to explain to you. But pretty much your subconscious like it recognizes when something is in your dreams that 
it didn't put there. Right. That something else is. So it's like, oh, there's an invader. I kind of want to attack it, which can be represented in the movie as people with machine guns trying to attack you to get you out of the dream. Which, of course. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's st- this is still an American I mean, movie. After duh. It, makes, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. But I will say on the rewatch, it gave me room to appreciate all other kinds of things that maybe I was really caught up with in the rush of the first viewing like the the cleanness of the costume design like like you said like these suits like they look so good there's also things like I noticed his wedding ring Mm -hmm. which really helped me in the film because every time he was in a dream world he was wearing a wedding ring and every time he wasn't he was not wearing a wedding ring so every now and then if you'd feel confused of like wait is this actually happening or not i would look to that that and actually then I'd be like oh he's dreaming i did notice that as well and it's something that plays in really interestingly in that final scene as well oh 100 i can't wait to talk about that scene but um, the the personalities in the movie i mean that's one thing they could probably be described in like two words or less like their whole personality like leonardo is haunted ellen page is just eager marianne cotillard is really angry i mean they're it's probably also they're all different facets of the human mind like tom hardy's gonna be the deceptive or like the strong deceptive one and sure but you know it's i think sometimes it can be hard to get invested with characters which are essentially like caricatures like they're kind of one note in a way but i would argue that the remoteness of each of them really works in this story because Nolan has said that this is a film about ideas, not people. So he's way more focused on the ideas than the characters themselves. Yeah, I do remember one of the criticisms I remember hearing when this movie came out was everybody said that the characters, there wasn't much depth to them. And I feel like that was partially intentional. And I think the only one that's supposed to have depth is Leonardo DiCaprio. And I think that there is a lot going on with him. I think that. I think that he was definitely obviously the perfect choice for this movie, both Mm -hmm. in terms of marketability and acting ability. But like when people complain that there's no dimensions to the other characters, like, well, what dimensions are there supposed to be? The story is about we're in a dream world, people, and a lot of it is subconscious. Yeah, the whole Marianne Cotillard, um, she's in the film as his wife, but the only times we see her are his projections projections of her it's never actually her also what's crazy because leo is so perfect for the role but you know it was offered first to brad pitt and then will smith i brad at that time i don't think brad pitt could have done it and i don't like will smith i think will smith's a totally different movie if you they offered him the matrix too i know they really feel that he and then now that he's been doing more of these kind of sci-fi movies he's been terrible they've all been bombs so neither of those actors it's almost like will smith's got a little entanglement going on oh boy (laughs) mm -hmm. but neither of those actors said yes within the 48 hour window which was all that nolan allowed for an answer i really hope that will smith fired his agent around that time because that guy just gave him 10 years worth of bad advice it's true it's really true like don't do this but do this terrible (laughs) movie um so christopher nolan started writing inception in 2001 after he finished shooting insomnia with al pacino so i think he was probably right to you know hold off a little bit on that i don't think he could have pulled it off at that point i mean i think it was just years in the making to make it so perfect but i did read that he said originally this idea popped in his mind when he was 16 I could see that. This so seems like, this like sounds like something a 16-year-old would originally Decades envision. making. I do have a little clip of Nolan talking about the film, um, and I feel like this is definitely the kind of movie where 
I will turn to the director to hear what they say because you're like, I have a lot of questions and I want to know like what you think about it. So uh, let's play that. I've always been fascinated by the the nature of dreaming, the, the idea that while we're dreaming, we can create a world, but perceive it at the same time without realizing that we're performing both those, those functions to the extent where if we dream, we're having a conversation with somebody, we're dreaming that person. We're also creating the words that are in that person's mouth but we feel we're hearing them as if for the first time. It took me a long time to write the script because I based it on this idea of a heist movie set in the world of dreams. And the problem with a heist movie is they tend to be procedural, they tend to be deliberately superficial. And so it took me a long time to realize that when you're dealing with the world of dreams, that's not enough, you need emotion. And so the central character played by Leonardo DiCaprio became the most important part of making the story relatable for the audience. That was really the challenge in making Inception, was to keep everything grounded, to keep everything feeling like it was possible, even as what's happening in the film is, uh, on some level, impossible. Everything in the film is based on one underlying principle that's articulated by uh, Leo's character in the film, which is uh, dreams feel real while we're in them. It's only when we wake up that we realise something was actually strange. That's the idea at the heart of Inception, and that was the guiding principle behind the way we shot everything. These dream worlds had to be photographed as far as possible in a tactile way, in an in-camera way. And so we did a lot of things that normally would be visual effects, whether it was gravity changing or disappearing, whether it's a, a massive freight train barreling down a crowded city street. Uh, we did those things in camera uh, and used visual effects for what they were best at, which is taking something we'd shot and then expanding on it and making it more than it could otherwise have been. Okay, yeah. So a couple comments I want to make on what he said. Number My one, my head hurts. It's too early for all this. <laughs> it's really talk. true. The words in the mouth thing in dreams, I am fascinated by. Never and, thought of that, but it's true. Oh, uh, it's true. In a dream of mine that I must have had. 20 years ago has stuck with me my whole life I was giving a speech I don't know what it was for at this point but there were a bunch of people and I gave the dopest speech that ever was <laughs> it was so good and I remember I woke up and I was like pen p paper like start writing it down and it was gone and I just remember being like I don't understand that Michelle is way smarter and more articulate than this one truly like <laughs> I don't how, but I created it. <laughs> you, you done get it out your uh, own. Couldn't do it. It <laughs> your was speech making Michelle. It was just lost in the ether. Um, but then when he talked about the special effects, we should really get into that because if you like special effects, this, this is the movie, is the movie, for, movie you, man. for you for sure. That hallway fight scene is truly terrifically totally awesome. And all in camera, there's no CGI in that scene. There is no CGI. I you watch this. <clears throat> I feel like you can watch it twenty times and still think. How do they do that? Yeah. Like, I, mean, I don't understand, which is a unique reaction to the CGI age that we live in. I mean, I, I, I'm a well-known person. I do not like CGI when it's too much. Like, I'm more of a practical effects looking guy. Looking at you, George Lucas, and all those prequels. Yeah. Even those, some, those, like, even the you, worst. Even you Marvel movies at this point. Tone it down a little bit, man. It's, Get a little bit more too grounded. too much, but, but Nolan used almost no CGI. They used FX shots by combining live action with digital animation. And then to get, they have this, like, zero gravity effect in this hallway scene and because there's like a dream is collapsing and they have people hooked up to rigs and they're pulling them in different ways in different positions they've got, they got a 30 foot room that they put on rotors and they yeah, just spun like spinning. it around oh without telling God. the actors what they're gonna do they just let them in there to practice so and like, they're okay. like float fighting and i feel like movies have been trying to copy this 
ever since. I mean, guys, this is a $160 million movie in 2010, and it looks like every little bit of that is put on the screen. Like you Absolutely. Feel... I mean, it seems almost like a small figure for a budget with like these pioneering well, special effects that look this good and was filmed on four continents over the course of seven months, followed by almost a year of post-production. I mean, think about Infinity War. Like, we're just going to mention one of the Avengers movies. That cost $250 million to make. That cost $100 million more than this. Yeah. And the effects are a little bit better in Inception, so. And, modest or not, Inception made $830 million worldwide and was nominated for eight Oscars, including Best Picture. So it ended up winning, I think, four for like cinematography, sound mixing, sound editing. It won, it won four out of the eight. Yeah. And it was also the fourth highest grossing movie of the year. And what a mixed bag those top three are. Do you know what the top three no, I don't. Ten were? So the third highest grossing movie was Deathly Hollows 1, which okay, that makes, makes sense. sense. Number two, oh. Alice in Wonderland with Johnny Depp. Wow, it made more. It was like, uh, people forget how big that is. It's like a billion dollar movie. And I forget plus. that people love Johnny Depp internationally. Yeah, at that time, star. Johnny Depp was a big deal. Not so much anymore, but we'll see. And then uh, the number one was Toy Story 3, which that makes okay. sense. I'll buy that one. But just, I looked at it and, oh man, Alice in Wonderland being number two, that really took me back to that was. I can't remember if I saw it, to tell you the truth now. It's not good. I was scared from the Willy, him doing that Willy Wonka remake. Was, you, Willy Wonka was a cinematic gem compared to Alice in oh, Wonderland. Oh, no. So, yeah, really? It's, it's, it's rough. We don't, we don't need to waste any oh, more that's time. A, that's Talking a about bad ex. movies made out of dreams. Like I don't know what happened with Tim Burton, but that's a story that's for another a, that's day. That's a whole other thing. Okay. And this movie also includes, I've noticed that uh, Christopher Nolan really loves using actors over and over again. Like He has his own little favorite troupe. Uh, Michael Caine, Cillian Murphy, Marianne Colatar, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Tom Hardy. These dudes have all, they've all been in multiple uh, oh, yeah. Christopher Nolan movies, and they're going to be in more to come. Michael Caine's going to be in Tenet. I'm sure uh, you're going to have somebody else popping up in that one as a cameo. Like Michael Caine has been in eight Christopher Nolan movies, including I mean, like he did voice work in Dunkirk and then Tenet. So, like, I mean, if you can get them, I just feel like they don't even bother asking them. They just tell him like, show up on this day. You're in another Nolan flick. And he's like, OK. Yeah. I also really like I was reading an interview with Michael Caine, like talking about meeting, you know, he's in Tenet or whatever it was before the movie was coming out. Um, And then he was like, oh, like I had dinner with him one night. He's like. I, we hung out for like four hours and he didn't mention the film once. So he's like, he's just really keeps it close to the chest until you're like in it doing it. Like he doesn't want to talk about it. Which makes <laughs> so. sense. I, I mean, he's done eight, seven movies, eight movies now with this guy and he's not even given him like the inside knowledge yeah. of what the movie's going to be. Michael Caine's so. like, that's fine. Michael yeah. Caine. I'll, um, sh I'll show up, love. We have to talk about the the biggest debate of the film. So what is with the spinning top? Oh, that boy. Leo has, and was it was it about to stop spinning? Was it going to stop at the end of the movie? The so, like I said, we're we're kind of doing yeah. some spoilers here, and I'd say this is one of those finales. It's like Sopranos, where people debate it forever. I did read that Nolan said that he is asked about that more times than he's ever been asked any question about any other film ever made because people are like, 
So was it going to stop? And he's like, it's really funny because they like they really expect me to answer it. I'm like, not answering it. I, I love that answer that he's just like, yeah, you can ask me all you want. I'm never going to I'm never going to answer it. So in the film, if you haven't seen it, they go into this dream world. So obviously life gets weird. You might lose reality. So they all have a totem that they make. And the totem lets them know if they are still dreaming or if they're in the real world. So without getting into the whole spinning top and how he ends yeah. up getting it. We ain't got time for that. He will spin it. If it keeps spinning indefinitely, he is still in a dream world. If the spin eventually stops spinning like any top would, then he knows he's in reality. So sometimes he'll come out of a real deep one and he spins it and it falls down and he's like, great. Now, this film is, as Jacob mentioned, he, he's trying to get back to his children because he, like, will say committed a crime or, or something. That's ambiguous it's, what it he's It is very with. ambiguous. So at the end, he is finally reunited with his children. So he spins the top to see, is this a dream or is this finally reality? And then the movie cuts to credits before you ever see like the end of it like yeah. was it slowing down was it about to fall down was there a wobble there might have been a wobble well, i don't know depending on who you talk to and i think nolan was like the point of the scene is that Cobb isn't looking at the top at that point he's looking at his kids because he's left it behind and that's the emotional significance of it that maybe he's like who cares right. if it's a dream or reality at this point i finally got reunited with my children but i am gonna say it was slowing down, and I say he was in reality. Mm, see, I disagree. I don't think he was in but reality. But it was like it was wobbling right at the end. It wouldn't wobble if it was just going to have the same momentum. Also, he's not wearing his wedding ring in the final scene, yes. which should be reality. But I also feel like he had just passed. Pa he had just like moved past his thing with his wife in the previous scene where he confronted her in the dream world. Yes. So that was no longer an issue. So if the wedding ring was an issue, was part of that, he's not burdened by that subconscious anymore. Plus the kids look exactly the same as they did at the beginning of they the movie. They do, but we also don't know how long he's been gone. He might only Ex been gone like six months. Well, exactly, but that doesn't, I mean, they don't change their voice. You never see his, like, the, like any of that or... But when he's dreaming, he could never see their faces. And at the end of the movie, they finally turn around and he sees them. Uh, see, I, I get that part, but just the fact that they don't age, everything just seems so wrapped up so perfectly. But it's been like six months. They're not supposed to age. Well, if, if it's been six if months. If it's been six months. I did read an interview with Michael Kine, and who knows if if he knows what he's talking about or not, but I like to think he does. And he said, he's like, the movie was really confusing, so I would ask Christopher Nolan stuff. And he told Michael Kane that if you are in the movie, then it's reality. Right. You're not in any of the dreams. And in the last scene, Michael Kane is there with the kids. See, but I earlier in the movie, I was watching it and I had a problem. The first time he talks to Michael Caine, I, I knew that he was not in a he was not in a dream at that point. But I did kind of have idea the way that Michael Caine's just kind of talking to him like, you got to move on past this. Like, are you just going to put this up? When are you going to go to your back to your kids? It kind of almost made me feel like DiCaprio that was in was a way that he was always in the dream the See, entire this movie. Is, this is the movie, a forever debate. Yeah, because the movie starts in a dream. Like, it starts near the end with yes. Ken Watanabe being old so oh, it, it never it could possibly never have been in reality in the first place like that is a possibility of it's this totally movie. trippy man I don't know yeah. I don't know what's wrong with you Jen this movie this movie is amazing I feel like it's just you have to go back and watch it again I think it's, it's a movie definitely that worth going back and learning new things like the Ellen Page character 
Um, she's named after a princess in Greek mythology who gave um, uh, Theseus a ball of thread and a sword so he could find his way through a labyrinth oh. and de- defeat the Minotaur. So like, well, oh, that make, that's well, that whole thing. Sense. Since she draws him an unsolvable maze um, in the beginning. Which um, is like a Minotaur maze because it's a big old circle. Yeah. That was such an interesting thing to ask her. Like, you have two minutes to draw me a maze that it takes me at least one minute to get through or something. I was like, oh, it's really, it's really fascinating. Um, yeah. I don't, I mean, what <laughs> well, else there, can there, we there, say? There's a million other things we can get into. Just, we haven't even actually gotten into what their whole mission or plot was, but, you know. I mean, there's really, there's really no time. So. Guys, this is a movie that, it's just like all Christopher Nolan movies, I feel like, need to be watched a couple of times like even the lesser ones like insomnia and such like there's stuff in I there actually insomnia is the only one I, I don't like insomnia yeah that's what i mean like it's it's not the best but there's stuff in there to go back and check out i feel like inception is almost the height of it's the movie that made christopher nolan movies into christopher nolan movies everything we expect from them now everything we're putting into tenant everybody the excitement we're getting is based on yeah it's inception. crazy that they're li- that it's linked like it's either a prequel or a precursor to inception did you say it's a deal where it's not a prequel or a sequel it's in the same world as inception okay. so like the same kind so there's a there's possibility so leonardo exists in the same world right as so there's john david washington and, so, so there's okay. a lot of people expecting that there might be some kind of like cameo crossover like if it was i would expect that it would be like a tom hardy or a joseph gordon levitt's not dicaprio if dicaprio showed up in this movie people's heads would explode yes but 100 exploding but all right well we it's a real dream here um we should probably wrap it up even though i think i could talk I, about this yeah, for get, another half an hour we, we, like always we're running out of time but luckily if you guys want to have another review and rewatch of Inception, know where you can pick it up? <laughs> you can go to your local library. We have 37 branches all over Erie County. Check out our website at www.buffalolib.org to see which ones are open at the moment. Um, but we, if we don't have it at that library, just ask for it. We'll have it set wherever you want because we got copies of it, guys. Blu-ray, DVD. We oh, got, yeah, Blu-ray We got definitely sure. editions of this. So check it out. And don't forget to follow uh, me and Michelle at All Booked Up Pod on Twitter. We won't ask for your Bitcoin or anything, so don't worry about that. <laughs> um, but come on, guys, follow. You get to chat with us. It's going to be a good time, everybody. Okay. And um, a couple just small Inception facts. Um, they used that French song, Non Je Ne Regret Rien. That was the one that they would always play, you know, when which, it was time to wake up. Which, by the way, I forgot was in there. And, I, and, like, it did make me, like, all of a sudden, every time I heard it, I did feel like my brain perk up a little bit. Like, this movie's done mess with my brain now. Yeah, Every totally. time I think, I started waking up a little bit. That song translates to, no, I don't regret anything in English. And it's their kick. It's their signal that they got to wake up from the dream. So Hans Zimmer created the film score by manipulating one beat from this Edith P.F. song. Mm. So because time passes slower in each layer of a person's dream, it would make sense that the French track played in real time would be stretched out mm-hmm. to signal the time warp inside the dream. So the score of the film, it isn't exactly like a slowed down version of the song. He took one beat and then he just manipulated that. And you hear that throughout the film, and that's amazing. Which is awesome. Yes, and totally. he also uh, hired Marion Colletard, who played Edith Piaf in uh, yes. La Vie and Rose. So. That's a little a little wink there. Um, also, the special effects supervisor, he used air cannons during that one scene where they send objects flying through the air in Paris. Which so they were actually cool. shooting things all around them, but then as the debris was floating, like they were like, shoot it out, they used cannons 
cameras that catch 1500 frames per second to get that full effect. Nice. So it's happening in like one second, but what we're seeing is this like long drawn out moment, which is amazing. And I want to give a shout out to all the extras. They did not flinch one bit when those air cannons went off. Like I would have at least like It's true. I stare at Leo and Ellen too, and they're just like perfectly still. So if you want more information, there is a book that came out in 2011. It's called Inception and Philosophy because it's never just a dream. And it is about Ooh. the philosophy behind the dreams everything about the film and you know check it out the only thing i don't know what talks about is that scary stressful noise that was in the movie a thousand times (laughs) you know what i'm talking about oh everybody knows it's it's (laughs) ubiquitous at this point all right you guys thanks so much for listening we'll catch you next time bye